We are back, and this is our two of Ariva Martin in real time. And in this hour, we're talking about Black students on Ivy League campuses and how they are literally uh, fighting each other. I'm to try to break down what is at the root of their disagreements and what can be done to bring these two student groups together. Joining me for this conversation is... Boston University School of Law Dean and Ryan Rothgallo, Professor of Law, Angela Owachi-Willick. And maybe I got that right. And if not, please correct me. And Dr. Camille Charles, who's the chair of the Department of Africana Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you both so much for joining me. Uh, I think I'm just going to call you Dean, Angela. That's going to make my life a whole lot easier. <laughs> and I'll call you Dr. Charles. All right. So everybody gets their props. So uh, help us, Dr. Uh, Charles, understand why in this moment are we seeing these two groups of Black students at each other when the numbers of Black students overall on Ivy League campuses is so small? I think the first thing to clarify is that it's not so much that they're at each other's throats. You know, they're not they're not arguing about this. And even as, um, you know, third generation or American born um, descendants of those enslaved in the U.S. are concerned about declines in their numbers on campuses, you know, they they're still engaging with they have friends and roommates who are immigrant Black students, they're sharing space in student government and in clubs and all of those kinds of things. So it isn't, it isn't acrimonious. Um, it, but it is something that I think was a concern for them prior to the um, SCOTUS ruling on affirmative action um, and, and is only increasing their sort of level of concern. Um, you know, there's been a demographic shift in the black population that honestly, I think social scientists were slow to notice. Um, and the composition of the black immigrant population is such that um, certain categories of black immigrants have sort of human capital is what we call it in sociology that, that, um, advantages them in the elite college admissions game, just, you know, to put it quite frankly. Um, at the at the same time that that's happening, though, the American Black population on Ivy League campuses is also becoming more affluent. Um, and that's in part because there's been a huge expansion of the Black middle class in the United States. It's in part because affirmative action opened those doors and, and we're now at a point where there's a generation of parents who offer legacy status to their children as they apply. Um, but in spite of that, um, you know, about 20% of the U.S. Black population is immigrant, uh, immigrant or second generation. So either first or second generation immigrant. And, um, you know, since at least 1980, uh, Africans have been our most highly educated immigrants to the United States. And so if you look at the characteristics of second generation immigrants from Africa and uh, third generation blacks from the U.S., you know, um, many more of, of their families have advanced degrees um, so that they have college going in their backgrounds. Um, immigrants are a self-selected group already um, that are moving 
and sacrificing four particular things, um, usually upward mobility. Um, and so, um, and their relationship to the United States and to racism in the United States is not the same as those of Black Americans. And so I think what can happen is a sort of um, disconnect across those cultural lines about about what it means to be black in the United States, because the experience is different and the relationship to structure is different. Um, and in this moment, um, they're quite concerned that, um, honestly, we're admitting fewer third generation uh, black Americans in these institutions. Um, at the time that I did my work, which was cited in the article that probably got you here, um, about uh, 20% of Blacks at selective colleges and universities were immigrant or second-generation immigrant. And I read something recently that that suggests that it could be as many as 40% uh, currently. And so in that 20-year period, you've seen a huge, you know, a near doubling of the proportion of Black students who are, who are immigrant or second-generation. So yes, they are concerned. They're feeling a little more isolated on those campuses if if they're looking for somebody who comes from their experience. Um, but they're also not going so far, at least on my campus, they're not going so far as to say, oh, well, they should admit fewer of this kind or that kind of Black students so that they could admit more of my kind, right? there. So, so I mean, it's, it is complicated. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. Now, that is not consistent with some of the articles that I've read. And I did read one of the articles where you were quoted heavily, but I've read some articles where the black American students are angry and have expressed uh, some displeasure. So when I say, the, you know, coming mm -hmm. for each other, there are students who feel as if, yes, they should. And this is based on what I've read in terms of the quotes from these students, that they should admit fewer of these immigrant black students and more uh, American black students, and, and they're some of the students were saying essentially they're taking our spots. So, Dean uh, Angela, on your campus at, at BU's law school, what are you seeing, or are you seeing uh, this play out differently? We know it plays out differently oftentimes on social media. We've mm -hmm. seen this this you know debate happening around the reparations conversation. Uh, so we know that there are some spaces where you definitely have Black Americans and immigrant Americans uh, not uh, of one accord. So at, at BU Law, actually, there isn't this this debate among Black students, um, but I, I've certainly been following this debate, and I obviously uh, cited some of Dr. Charles's work in my own article writing about this issue in, in, uh, in 2007. It's been a longstanding issue that African Americans have been concerned about, Black people have been concerned about for, you know, uh, for at least a couple of decades. And um, I think one of the reasons why we see more discussions going on now is in part, um, uh, I agree with everything that Dr. Charles said that that this has been a concern since before the Supreme Court decision in the Harvard and UNC affirmative action case. But I think that that, um, of course, 
thinking about the numbers of Black students, which, as you pointed out, are already very, very low, um, thinking about those numbers decreasing even, even more, I think, has more people talking about this issue. In that decision, Chief Justice Roberts talks about how schools can consider how race has affected someone's life experiences. So I just think in general, as a society, as people in higher education, we're talking more about the diff distinct different experiences that different Black people might have. And so this is something that should be considered, right? Um, and then I think it's, we're also talking more about like, what's the what's the purpose of affirmative action? What was the purpose of diversity? You know, and part of that is, is, um, is you know, re remedying past discrimination, right? Um, and, and it's also about remedying current discrimination, but it's about remedying past discrimination. So it makes sense that we should be talking about people with long-term roots who descend from slaves on all sides of their family, what Derek Bell called to me legacy Blacks, um, is, is something we should be talking about. Are we fulfilling that? Are we leaving any groups behind in um, our efforts to equalize things, to make things more equitable? And so I think that's why it's part of the conversation. But it seems like given the numbers that you just cited, uh, Dr. Charles, the non-African American students Blacks, the non-blacks, the black students on these campuses that are not African Americans have been getting admitted at higher rates, and you said uh, that's yeah. I, I don't. I I think that at my campus, at least, if you're saying that across the Ivy League, the black student population is still at seven percent, then that's that's flat. Um, you know, I think it's eight at my campus, and that has been the case. I've been here for 25 years, and I think it's been the case for at least the last 15 of those years, right? Um, I think what has changed, again, is, is the composition of the Black student population. So it has become both more affluent and more immigrant. And yeah, one of the things I read said that one researcher said 41% of Black students at four of the Ivy Leagues, Columbia, Yale, Princeton, and Penn, uh, those were children of foreign-born parents. Does yeah. that number so that sound? Be, yeah, that would be second-generation immigrants. So um, I had read something similar. So I, I that isn't data I've collected myself, but that is something that I've read recently as well. And that's why I said I know that it has increased. I run a I run a summer program for incoming students interested in Africana studies, and so. 95% of the students I get are black. Um, mm. And I've run that program for, I think, 20 years now. And it has certainly become more immigrant and second generation than it was when I started um, 20 years ago. Um, as I said, though, even among the um, American descended blacks, it's also become more affluent for that category of student, too. Um, and but, but are, you, you've said that a couple of times. I'm trying to understand yeah. the significance of it. Are you saying that the immigrant blacks are also more? Well, yes. Yeah, so the immigrant blacks are already in particular. I should I should be very specific here. Immigrant Caribbeans and 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 black Americans are very similar in their socioeconomic status um, and and in their um, they're more similar in parental education. Um, immigrant. Africans are different. So, you know, 30% of American Blacks in my study had parents with no college degree. 
only 10% of African immigrant students had that. 71% of African immigrant students had at least one parent with an advanced degree. It's much lower for American Blacks. That means then that immigrant Black students are from Africa are coming from more affluent families. They're coming from better educated families. They're more likely to own homes and have wealth accumulated. They are likely to come from better resourced high schools. Okay, so they have all of the, the human capital characteristics. They're advantaged in that way. The American Black population is more diverse. So you've got about a third of them with no college in their background and, and about a quarter of them whose parent, at least one parent has an advanced degree. But that's still a third of what African immigrant kids have. Um, they're coming from, they're more affluent than they used to be, but they're less affluent on average than immigrant African students are. Um, so there's more social class diversity. And what I actually hear Black students um, expressing more concern and frustration about is, is actually uh, class-based cleavages um, between them. So let me ask you, Dean, are you seeing, so let's talk about class-based differences. Are these African students in particular, those that are, you know, in, in higher numbers on some of these campuses that are more affluent, what's their relationship to the poor African-American students? Because we also hear a lot about there being tension around that because there's so much anti-Blackness in this country that when immigrants come to America, you know, one of the first things they learn is, you know, anti-Blackness, which is baked into this culture. So if you are a more affluent African student, you're a more educated African student, what is the likely relationship that you're going to have with the poor African-American uh, student on one of these Ivy League college campuses? I want to get your response to that when we come forward. I'm going to continue this conversation about you know, what's happening in terms of Black representation at Ivy League schools right here on KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back. And in this hour, we are talking about a debate that's happening on Ivy League uh, campuses around Black representation uh, and it's in some cases pitting black immigrant students against African-American born students. Uh, Dr. Camille Charles from the University of Pennsylvania is joining us in this conversation, as well as Dean Angel. She is at the Boston University School of Law. She's a dean there, and she's also a professor of law. And I just wanted to read when I, I say I've read some of these articles that talk about the Dissent, uh, the the conflict, I should call it, that exists in some of these environments between these two groups. I'm just going to read something uh, in one of these articles. And this is an African-American student saying uh, they don't understand the they being immigrant blacks don't understand the plight of African-Americans, whether it's soul food signifying or the blues. They said they felt like immigrants say you should come to this country. It's the land of opportunities. And if you're not successful, you just have to work hard. Then, boom, you realize the American dream. So that's just a couple of the comments in this article, uh, Dean Angela, about how black students are saying immigrant blacks who come here more affluent, more educated, don't understand the plight of 
the African-American students and are buying into some of these racist tropes about black students not working hard enough, uh, black folks not working hard enough. And this is the great land of opportunity. And if you just work hard, then boom, you should be successful. So how is that being played out as we look at, again, is this this really static number of black students on these Ivy League campuses to begin with? Well, I would say, number one, it's all very, very complicated. And I would say it would separate each one of those experiences, even by generation, right? So one of the things that you see that's very unique with, with Black people versus other um, other immigrant groups is that Black people, even though it might be relative, all the relative advantages that Dr. Charles talked about before, that um, second generation Blacks may have over African-Americans with long term roots in the country is really um, they really disappear by the third generation. And so uh, first generation immigrant blacks might come in with that attitude. And it's one of the one of the advantages, because when one comes from their home country, directly from their home country, they're comparing all of the opportunities that they have here with the opportunities that were back in their home country. Right. Um, there's also the advantage of coming from a majority black country. So if you're growing up and you're seeing all the leaders are black people, all those things. And so one has to be acculturated to that process. By the second generation, I do, I don't think you see as much of the same kind of attitude, right? The, certainly people have may have had parents who said those same things, but I think that that's beginning to lessen as black people become Americanized by racism. And then certainly by the third generation, that's all, uh, that's pretty much gone, right? Studies have shown it's pretty much any of those advantages, those types of advantages are yeah. are really gone. And what I would also say is even more important is that even when, even when you look at, um, so immigrant, ba- black, immigrant Blacks are first and second generation Blacks are tend to be more educated than American Blacks. Um, um, and tend to have more, more, um, not even wealth, higher income and more wealth than American Blacks. But that's also all relative, right? So when you compare immigrant Blacks with white people, there's still a significant gap. So we're talking about differences among Black people. When you're comparing immigrant Blacks to white people, white people still on average have, you know, $10,000 higher income, right? So we're talking about meaningful differences. If you look at the values of the homes, if we're talking about homeowners, the values of the homes that the white people own are much, much more significant. So we're talking about intra-racial differences right now, but if you look at the broader picture, that's also something that we should be looking looking at. And that's kind of the story too. The reason why you're more likely to have more affluent Blacks, why you're going to be likely to have more people, more uh, Blacks with with um, relatives and, and parents who have a, a higher education and degree, whether it's an advanced degree or whether it's a college degree, is because the admissions game at elite schools is set up so that those people always win. Wealthier people tend to win. People who have parents who've gone through this process, particularly they've gone through an elite college and know how to navigate their way through that process are more likely to win. So. If you have those things, well, you know, just in general, whether you, regardless of your race, you're more likely to benefit in the process. And so that's why you have an overrepresentation in general, whether it's American Blacks or first and second generation Blacks. Um, you know, I guess I'm listening to you all and you all are the researchers and I'm not. So I, I defer to my experts. But if it were that's, you know, if it's all kumbaya, and there really isn't any issue with the American Blacks towards the immigrant Blacks, then like, 
why is there concern? Because obviously these black kids, American black kids are feeling some kind of way about immigrant blacks. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you're more affluent than me, and if you have more education than me, and if you are getting into schools at a higher rate than me and folks that are like me, then the kids are likely to have an issue with that. But you all are suggesting, I don't know, it feels like I you're making yeah. issues, and I don't, I don't I, want to I, overstate I that. I think there's a difference between having an issue with the structure and having an issue with the students. And, and yeah, but I and think so, they have an issue with the people. Like, like I got an issue with someone who's getting into this school because they have some advantages that I don't have. And what well, I'm reading, these students are saying, like, that's not fair. Whether you're white or an immigrant black is not fair. So it, that's admissions is what <laughs> admissions is all about. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and so again, that that critiquing the process in general. Yeah, and and it is right, but I don't like you white student who have that advantage, and I don't like you black immigrant student. It's also complicated when you're talking about. So a lot of African immigrants come here and have higher um, higher ed degrees, for example, but those degrees aren't always acknowledged in the same way in the United yeah. States. That and that is an advantage to have to know that you've gotten that degree, but that person might be a doctor working as a janitor, right? But it is still an advantage because you know that you could get that, you, you've had access to that and you know that you could repeat and, that. I'm not and Dean, that Andrew, Dean Andrew, would you agree with me that some of those, those uh, degree people from Africa working as janitors still feel superior to the African-American person that might be on the job doing something other than being a janitor? Is is that not a real attitude? I don't much. I'm not sure that there's a feel superior, but I do think that there is. There's definitely some intra racial yes. um, bias, and I, and, and I can uh, actually and, speak to that. I mean that that is that is part of the work that I've done, and so I think it is absolutely true that you know the that there is a, a, a learned anti blackness of American blackness. Mm -hmm. uh, by everybody in the world, right? It's not it's not exclusive to immigrant blacks. Um, so you know, I followed a cohort of students who entered college in 1999 and graduated by 2004, and we charted their racial attitudes at the beginning of college and at the end. And when you look at black students at the beginning of college and you ask them to explain the source of black inequality in the United States, immigrant blacks tended toward cultural explanations that black people just need to try harder or they don't value education as much, right? And American blacks tended toward the structural explanations, discrimination, prejudice, um, those kinds of explanations. By the end of college, they've converged and there is no difference between them in their racial attitudes. I imagine that part of that is because immigrant Blacks have learned in their coursework about racism in the United States that they didn't learn about before, but they also experience racism because they're still Black. But okay, so, but let me ask you this. But let me, let me, so I hear what you're saying. And again, I'm going to respect your research as a researcher. 
But let's fast forward to what the debate we see in the reparations context. If those immigrant students, by the time they graduate, if you say there's really no difference, then is it the African-American blacks that are harboring resentment towards the immigrants? Because I live in California. We just went through this whole reparations task force, two years of meeting. And at the end of the day, the the vote and the, the recommendations by the reparations task force was don't give reparations to immigrant blacks. You got to be able to prove your descendants, your descendant mm-hmm. of a slave. So there is still this debate that happens. And these are grown folks, post-college, graduate students, folks with PhDs, law degrees, all kinds of degrees. Right. So it, it didn't. Right. Obviously and I, so I don't at the time think... of college. Hold your thought. Hold your thought. Uh, when we come forward, I'll let you answer that response or answer. I'd love to hear your response to that. Uh, stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. All right, uh, Dr. Charles, you want to continue with your point? Yeah, yeah, because I think the the flip side of what I was saying before is that the American-born Blacks actually move toward culture as an explanation for inequality, because what they have been indoctrinated with in American higher education is that if if I can do this, why why aren't more of us doing it? And so the convergence is actually the two sides moving toward each other. Um, And so, you know, I I think that's, I I think that that leaves open lots of opportunity for political solidarity because immigrant Blacks are coming to recognize things that they didn't recognize before. Um, Again, even that doesn't mean that they're isn't a a real and deep-seated source of concern among U.S. descended Black people about their representation on these campuses. They want to see people like them who do share an understanding of their their culture and their experiences, um, and they feel like they had more of that, and they're losing it, right? And, And I don't know that there's anything wrong with that, nor do I necessarily think that, it, again, at least on my campus, I don't get the sense that the immigrant students think something is wrong with them for feeling that way, right? And, and so the complication becomes, there's the abstract level where the thing is happening, and then there's the personal level where it starts to affect me and people like me. And so they're they're struggling with that challenge because they are befriending one another. They are work, they're protesting together um, about things that upset them politically and socially in the world and on campus. Um, they're they're often very much aligned on those things. And yet, yes, there is a deep-seated concern, not among the immigrant students, because they see lots of them, right? But for this dwindling group and the sense that um, that they're, you know, that what does that mean for American higher education and its responsibility for educating Americans, legacy American, and particularly what does it mean with respect to populations who were um, shut out of those institutions for generations, right? And so it actually extends beyond a concern about immigrant students who have who are permanent residents and citizens in this country and international students so you'll have this same group of students saying well maybe if we took fewer international students 
But though that has diversity consequences as well, right? So the problem is that there's a pie that we have been historically excluded from that pie. Um, and that because we don't want to change the way we distribute the pie, we have this new source of black student who meets those, those criteria. And so the admissions people are saying, well, they're black mm -hmm. and they're not pay they, they don't, they're not paying attention to the other characteristics of the students. And this will have consequences post SCOTUS if we're going to rely, quite frankly, on SAT scores. So that's uh, something to ask you, Dean, uh, Angela, what's the solution to this? And is there a solution? Uh, does it mean that, you know, the reality is the seven or 8% of black students on these Ivy League campuses will probably continue to be uh, disproportionately immigrant born or, you know, descendants of immigrants? Is that going to be the reality? I mean, I think the solution is for schools to think about what their mission is mm -hmm. um, and then to be really deliberate about how they, mm -hmm. you know, create a student body that helps them advance that mission, right? And so um, it would be deliberate work, right? So if you're reading about the experiences of someone, because we're talking about schools that get many, many applications, they could build their classes over, you know, like, you know, seven or eight times over, so simply from the applicants they have, um, to be thinking deeply as they're giving everybody an individualized review, like how do we compose this, this community that we think is going to um, uh, bring us people who are going to contribute to society, but who are going to contribute things to our community that allow us to each grow and learn from each other, that gives us a range of perspectives and experiences to learn from, but to be deliberate too, if there is a social justice element too, about, about groups that have been um, that have been left by, behind. Do you think they should have some kind of quotas? Like if we're going to take 10% of the students are going to, you know, let's make it yeah. concrete numbers, 100 Black students are getting into the school and only 50 of these Blacks can be immigrants and the other 50 have to be uh, African-Americans, descendants of slaves, Black Americans? I mean, I think that, I think that um, <laughs> it's interesting because I think, I don't know, ethnicity is different than, or, you know, uh, it might be different than race. So that's not excluded from thinking in that way. You can't have quotas, of course. Um, but I think in thinking about the the kind of um, the diversity among eth ethnicity that you want to have within groups, it seems like that is something to the extent that you have it. The, the, the issue is obviously now you can't think about, you can't consider race, right? And so that, that's part of the calculation in thinking about diversity within the racial group. It'll be interesting to see how admissions plays out. Everybody is figuring this out in a new world in which um, uh, um, you can't uh, uh, um, um, look at the race that someone has identified uh, on their application, or m many people or many schools are suppressing that information. Right. Um, but I think if we put that aside, let's assume we didn't have this horrific SCOTUS decision, okay. and we were still in an era where race could be considered. Uh, is the solution to this, Dr. Charles, to say if we're going to have a hundred black students at? at, you know, Columbia or Yale or Penn or Harvard, then 50 have to be born, you know, the descendants of slaves or can trace their history back to slavery and 50 can be immigrants? 
No, I, I mean, I, I really don't think I really don't think it requires that. Right. Because the truth is, if you did a 50 50 split, you would still have an overrepresentation of of immigrants. So if immigrants are only 20 percent of the black population, in all honesty, most of our institutions say that what we would like is a composition that reflects the U.S. population. So not only do we need to get up to 12 percent black, but you would only want 20 percent of that to be 12 percent right to be immigrant. So, in fact, it seems to me that the issue is that most of the people in these offices think of all black people as one bucket. And there is no there, there's no distinguishing among them. There is no sense that there's diversity within that. And it's like, well, I just have to get black people. And and as long as we're focused on the SAT. And you're talking about having to go through tens of thousands of applications and a number is a really easy way to make that initial cut. We can't process all of the essays as quickly as we can process how close this number is to 1600. Right. And so in all honesty, we now know because of COVID that we can admit a class without the SAT. And so it's really about who is going to have the the I don't want to say the word I want who's going to have the guts courage <laughs> okay. courage to say you know what we you know rather than saying we'll stay test optional just get rid of the damn test mm-hmm. um, and you by getting rid of the test we will I, I honestly more- think that if we just didn't pay attention to that test we would be paying more attention to the whole file. Oh, but, but you wait have a, no but wait a choice. second. But but Dean, you have no choice. we have like 30 seconds for you to answer this. Sure. If why are the African Americans not getting close to the 1600 and the immigrant blacks are getting to the 1600? Oh, there there are that's a lot. You know, that's a, I mean there's obviously those scores right, correlate with wealth and income, right? So if you look at income by brackets, SA, the average SAT score goes up as the income goes up. Um, you know, I mean, there's been some studies that show. But the income level the between these immigrant example, blacks and African-Americans is not that great. I mean, we're not talking the, the 10 to 1 difference between blacks and whites. Okay, and I am out of time there. I should have asked you that question. because I knew it was big and gigantic and there was no simple answer to it. But thank you both so much. Such an interesting conversation. I, I'm a Harvard graduate. I have two daughters at Columbia. So this is a conversation that is really uh, important to me. So I have you both back so we can continue this conversation. But I am curious about that SAT score, uh, particularly when you talk about immigrant Blacks and, you know, American-born Blacks. But thank you again so much for your insights on this.